Hello, hello, and welcome to the first day of Women in the Word this semester. I am so happy to see all of your smiling, beautiful faces. Wow, so many of you. I'm Deb Haygood, part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and I want to give a shout out to South Campus. I'm so glad you are joining us today, and a big welcome and hello to all of you on the internet. Thank you so much for being a part of Women in the Word. It's a joy to study God's Word. God is relational, and He made us relational. And so it's exciting to study God's Word with other women, women studying it together. And I am so excited to be a part of this Bible study with all of you. Thank you so much for coming. Now, I know that the first day is a bit hectic. Um, maybe you had kids to get ready, or maybe just getting yourself ready is a time-consuming project. Um, and then there's getting here, getting in the car. I hope you didn't get stopped by a train or a flat tire or all those things that can happen on our way. It's a little bit stressful that first day about, or maybe you're not stressed at all. Maybe you're just super excited to be here. Lots of emotion on our first opening day. And then you get here. Lots of things to think about, like, Who's going to be at my table? Will I know anyone? And the most important question, what will they be wearing? And where is my table? How do I find it? That reminds me a little bit of my granddaughter, Hallie, her first day of school. She started eighth grade this year, a few weeks ago, and I called my daughter knowing she'd be driving her to school, and she put me on speakerphone, and I'm saying, Hallie, I hope you have a good day. I'm praying for you. Are you excited? How's it? And she's like, yeah, Grammy, I'm excited. I said, have you got your schedule? Any good classes? And she goes, yeah, I got my schedule. Dead silence. And then I hear her say, Mom, I left my schedule at home, and I don't know how to find my home room. And then I say, all right, well, you guys have a good day. Click. <laughs> I hung up on them. Can you believe that? I seriously did. I thought, whoa, this is, you know, not in my wheelhouse. Click. Um, she, did find, she did find her home room, so you'll be glad to know that. But um, I, I hope that if any of you came in here today and you couldn't find your table, I hope there was somebody that was a little more helpful than I was with Hallie to help you find your table. Because I know that the leadership team, they have been working hard to make this first day warm and welcoming and friendly and comfortable. So please, come back. Give us another try if there's something that didn't quite go as you expected it. Something's not quite what you thought it would be. And if you want, I would love to talk to you. Please give me a call. I want to hear your story and listen to you. And I promise I'll try to be a little more helpful if I can than I was with my granddaughter. We are women in the Word. Um, and that's exactly it. We are women studying God's Word. So why do we study God's Word. You know, there are many, many reasons, but I found a really good one this summer. It was in Psalm 19.7. Now, you're going to have an extra set of verses and an outline, so you might want to look at those. And the very first one on your extra set of verses, Psalm 19.7, David tells us this, 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, reviving the soul. Now, the law of the Lord, that is the Bible. That's the scripture, God's word, and it revives our soul. Now, revive means to bring back to life or restore, to give new energy, to regain health or vitality. Anyone else out there need a little reviving? If so, then you have come to the right place because it says the word of God revives our soul. So what is the word of God? Well, the Bible, God's word, it is God's story of love and salvation for humankind. God wants to redeem us. He wants to restore us. He wants to save us for an eternal relationship with him. And that relationship begins the minute that you put your trust in Jesus, the minute you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So we see two major themes in the Bible. The first one, the way to God, and the second one, our walk with God. So the first one, it has to come first. We must be restored or uh, reconciled to God. And God does that by his grace when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul says this very well in Ephesians on your verse sheet. It says uh, 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. It is God's grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And then the second theme, second big theme, our walk with God. That's our relationship with Jesus every day in this present life and on into and throughout eternity forever. So what is involved in this everyday life, this everyday living with Jesus? Sometimes we call it the faith life. Well, it's our thoughts, it's our words, and it's our actions. What we think, what we say, what we do. So the important question is, What kind of thoughts and words and actions are right as we walk every day with Jesus? Because it is so easy for me to get it wrong. Mess up, misunderstand, faulty belief. Somebody tells me something and I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. And I walk along thinking that. Or just my own misbehavior. Don't you love that word misbehavior? It it sounds so much nicer than sin, which is really what it is. Sin, it's my rebelling against God, choosing my own way instead of God's way. And there are so many ways for me to mess up. Sometimes I don't even know that I'm messing up. So what's the answer? Do you feel like that? What is the answer? We need wisdom. I need wisdom. God's wisdom. A simple definition of wisdom is skillful living. Skill in living our everyday lives as a believer in Jesus. So you see, wisdom is active. It's not just head knowledge, it's living skillfully. And the book of James is all about this wisdom. And James is what we're going to be studying this semester. It's a short book in the New Testament. It only has five chapters, and so we can look at it closely. We can kind of dive down below the surface and take a good look and find some amazing truths that are going to help us as we live skillfully. Now, this summer, um, my husband Scott and I, along with our kids and our grandkids, we took a trip to South Florida to visit my mom and brother and sister and nieces and the whole gang. So we were all there, and uh, the weather was perfect. 
in South Florida. And by perfect, I mean the sun was shining every day, the wind was light, and so the seas were calm. Perfect for fishing and perfect for snorkeling. My favorite thing to do. So one day we all got on two boats and we went out to Alligator Reef Lighthouse. And it was gorgeous. In fact, I have a picture of Alligator Reef Lighthouse. Now, the lighthouse kind of got a little chopped off. Um, that's a picture of Hallie. Um, but you can see there how beautiful the water is. It was turquoise blue and crystal clear and just gorgeous. And so some of the people jumped in and they were on floats and rafts and just enjoying the beautiful turquoise water, the beautiful day. But some of us put on our mask and we snorkeled out. Uh, We had our snorkel and our fins. If you see that little dark spot there by the lighthouse, that's the reef. And so we swam over to that and I put my head down under the surface of the water and a whole new world. I have a picture of the reef. It's spectacular. It was so colorful. There was coral and sponges and fans and fish of every kind. So beautiful. I have another picture of the reef with all of that going on. And, And it was even more beautiful than one little picture can capture. Gorgeous, so much. You can't believe that's what's underneath the surface of the water. And fish everywhere. In fact, I've never snorkeled in so many fish. I have a picture of the fish at Alligator Reef Lighthouse. So many, hundreds of them. And you're fishing all colors and shapes. It was beautiful. I could hardly even get out of the water. It was so fun to look at. That is what we are going to find this semester as we look at James. We're going to look down below the surface and find this amazing, spectacular world in James. Now, the surface of James is pretty cool. Lots of cool verses. You can just kind of skim along reading those chapters, and it's pretty nice, just like my um, family that was just looking out at the beautiful surface of the water. But there is so much more underneath. You're going to be so excited as we look at the amazing truths that the Lord's going to give us deep down. We're going to find living wisdom. So let's get started. Let's open up to James chapter 1, verse 1. And today we're going to look at um, the book of James. We're going to see who wrote it, when, to whom, what are the themes, kind of an introduction to the book of James. And then we're going to dive in and we're going to look at some verses about wisdom. And those are going to be in chapter 3. This will be the only week that we kind of skip around like that. Next week we'll be back, chapter 1, verse 2. So let's start by looking at uh, James 1, verse 1. Let me read it. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. This is a greeting. It's an opening for a letter. Now, we have many letters in the New Testament, and many of those letters are written by Paul. But this letter is written by James. So who is this James, the author of the letter? There are quite a few James in the New Testament. In fact, out of Jesus' 12 disciples, two of them were named James. There's James, John's brother. Um, Those are the sons of Zebedee. Jesus calls them the sons of thunder. And then there's kind of a lesser-known disciple of Jesus, and his name was James, son of Alphaeus. And then there is the half-brother of Jesus, whose name was James. And it is believed that he is the author of this letter. 
In fact, it's the traditional view that's been held since the third century, and most biblical scholars today believe that James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the author of this letter. So what are some reasons they believe this? Let's talk for a minute about James. Hopefully, you had some time to look at some of these verses in your um, small group today with your questions. Um, In fact, let me just put in a plug for the questions. So this is kind of a parenthesis. As you, um, each week, you're going to have three pages of study questions. And as you read those and go through them, then you'll come back and discuss them together with your small group. And those questions are for you. We've written them and designed them just for you. As you read the scripture verses, the questions will give you direction and they will help you to um, think about the Bible verses and then apply the scriptures to your life. They will help you contemplate God's wisdom. So look down below the surface and ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight and then come back and discuss your answers with your small group. Your thoughts and your insights are so important. Now, I know someone out there is thinking, well, not mine. Uh, I've never really studied the Bible before. Uh, I haven't even ever opened it before. It doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit can give you some truth and insight that's beautiful that the gals at your table need to hear. So come back and be ready to share. Your thoughts are important. And a lively discussion helps the whole group grow and understand God's word. Close parentheses. That's it. Let's get back to James. Um, After Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had together at least four sons and two daughters. And they're listed in several places in scripture, but one of them is Mark 6, verse 3. And this is the crowd. They're talking about Jesus, and they say, is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us. So we see here that James is listed first. So he is probably the oldest. And we know from John 7 that the half-brothers of Jesus didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't really understand what he was doing. They didn't believe that he had come as savior to the world. But then in Acts 1, Verse 14, after the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension back into heaven, we see the disciples and other followers of Jesus are in Jerusalem in the upper room praying. And then we read this. Look at Acts 1:14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. His brothers. So it would seem that sometime between... John chapter 7, and then the death and resurrection of Jesus, the brothers became believers in Jesus as God and Savior. When did this happen? We don't know. Scripture doesn't say exactly, but we get a little hint about James in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And this is Paul speaking, and he tells us, then he, talking about Jesus, appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So we see that Jesus appeared to James after his resurrection. What did Jesus say to him? I wonder what their conversation was like. Did they talk about growing up, the good old days? Or maybe Jesus said, James, why don't you believe in me? Or maybe James said, hey, what took me so long to believe, Jesus? We don't know. But pretty shortly after this time, we see James as the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. 
In fact, in Acts 15, there's an account of Paul and Barnabas. They uh, go to the leadership in Jerusalem for a ruling about a controversial but fundamental question. And it's James who is the spokesperson announcing this final decision. And by the way, you see some great wisdom, wise leadership in this decision. So I've also read that James was called James the Just. That kind of also speaks to his leadership and his wisdom. And then I also read that his nickname was Camel Knees because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. Wish I could say that's the reason for my knees looking like they do, but um, no. So prayer is going to be a significant and very important theme in the letter of James. You're going to see that. So when was this uh, letter written? And to whom was James writing it? Well, scholars believe that James wrote it between 45 and 48 AD. So not that long after the uh, resurrection of Jesus. And they, um, that would make it the earliest writing in the New Testament. The very first thing written that's in the New Testament was the letter of James. And who was he writing to? Well, we've seen in that verse 1, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, dispersion, some of your translations say scattered abroad. And that's what dispersion means, scattered abroad. So the 12 tribes, that's a reference to the Jewish people, the nation Israel. We've talked about that before. The nation Israel came from Abraham's grandson Jacob, his 12 sons and their families. And we know that they grew and multiplied, especially when they were in slavery in Egypt, until they became this... um, great nation. They were God's people. They were ruled under their own kings, but they tended to drift away from God until finally other nations came in and took them captive and dispersed them, scattered them abroad. And this is known as the dispersion. This also could be a reference to the Jewish Christians who have left Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the starting place of Christianity. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those Jewish Christians who believed in Jesus, the church began, there's great rapid growth. And the Jewish leadership who did not believe in Jesus, they were not excited about that. They didn't like this. And so in Acts 7, we see Stephen stoned to death by the Jewish leadership because Stephen believed in Jesus. And now persecution of the Jewish believers ramps up. Many left Jerusalem and the cities and the towns, and they went to other places to live. Christianity continued to grow and spread throughout. That was the good thing. But James knew these believers would be trying to walk with Jesus, to live for Jesus, but they're far away from the grounded and wise leadership in Jerusalem. They're suffering persecution, they're facing famines and hardships and trials and pressures for what they believe. And so James writes to these fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and he tells them, persevere, persevere as you walk with Jesus. Don't slip into old habits or indifference or sin. He challenges them to live out their faith in Jesus, actions not just words, actions. James loves the word show and do, active faith. We're gonna see it throughout his letter. And he has much to say about their words. He says, guard your tongue. He wants them to be like Jesus as they walk in relationship with him. So he says, do not show favoritism or partiality. 
big theme in the letter of James. Be humble, live peaceably with others, live out the great commandment. Then Jesus tells us in the New Testament, the great commandment that we see in the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then he says in the next, just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. And James says, this takes wisdom. So pray and ask God for it. He will give it to you. Wow. I need some of that wisdom. Because these things, James, are ty- those are the very things that I struggle with today. What about you? What about you? Persevering under trials and pressures? Anybody here going through a hard time? Difficulty? You're trying to persevere as a believer in Jesus? Showing favoritism, being partial to one group against another, active faith, obeying God's word, guarding my tongue, loving my neighbor, the very things that I need wisdom with. What do you think? How relevant. This book is so relevant. It's like James wrote it for you and me in 2022. So relevant. Now, the book of James is written with a very different style from other letters in the New Testament, and it's really different from Hebrews. That's the letter that we studied last year. Hebrews had a lot of theology in it, a lot of doctrine. The author was making a logical case for Jesus being greater than anything or anyone else. James, on the other hand, is practical with short verses of encouragement and instruction, in fact, the, book of, the letter of James sounds a lot like the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. James uh, uses the word brother or um, beloved brothers almost more than any other book in the New Testament. But right alongside that loving encouragement, we see stern admonitions. In fact, one friend uh, recently told me, she's one of the teachers that's going to be teaching this semester. She's been studying James, and she called and said, Deb, studying James is like a punch in the gut. And I said, yes, exactly, because the truths in James, they hit home. They are relevant. One theologian writes that James is severely ethical and refreshingly practical. Throughout the letter, James uses the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament and the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to see wisdom from those two sources, so look for that. James' message, he wants to encourage the readers to a practical holiness, a mature and active faith life that works, that works. And that's the same message for us today. James wants us to live out our faith with godly wisdom in every day real-life situations. That's what we want as we study this book of James. It's active, mature faith that needs wisdom, which comes from God, living wisdom. So as you study James this semester, study it with an open heart and mind, and let's gain some living wisdom. So let's turn now and look at some things that James says about wisdom. So over chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 13. We're going to look at these verses on wisdom. And he begins with this. Who is wise and understanding among you? So it's a rhetorical question. He's starting out there with this to make us think. The word wise means much more than learning, gathering knowledge, knowing facts. It means 
skillfully applying knowledge to the matter of practical living. It's applying what we know to our living. And that Greek word there, understanding, it's also used, it's only used here in the New Testament. The only time you see this Greek word for understanding is right here. And it means a specialist or professional who could skillfully apply her expertise to practical situations. So James is saying, who is truly skilled in the art of living? And he says, a wise person demonstrates understanding of Jesus by the way she lives. The way she lives, it's obtainable because he gives us this description. He goes on to say the wisdom of a wise person is displayed by her conduct, her living. It shows in her actions and her speech. Wisdom is active. Did you notice the word show? We're going to see that um, over and over again in the letter uh, that James writes. Wisdom shows, it shines through a person's good conduct. Good conduct, we might call that right living. And one more aspect of skillful living, it's done in meekness. Meekness. Some of your translations said humility. It's often um, linked with humility. Um, But what does meekness mean? We're going to see that word again too, so let me tell you. Um, We often think of it as shy or timid or weak, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. The Greek word um, for meekness actually means power under control. Power under control. One theologian described meekness as the temperament in which we accept God's dealings with us as good. And therefore, we do not dispute or resist or fight or struggle against God. We stand strong knowing that God's dealings with us are good. They're good. And that's very similar to humility. Humility is knowing who God is in light of who I am. God, the all-knowing creator of the universe. And I am the created one. So our conduct is not proud or self-promoting or sanctimonious. No, we are humbly walking with Jesus. Humbly with meekness. That's true wisdom. And this leads James to now contrast true wisdom with false wisdom, heavenly wisdom with earthly wisdom. So the verses 14 through 18, they're all about this contrast. Now, I love comparison and contrast in scriptures because I think it really helps us to know the uh, subject, to better understand the subject. So let's look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So James is going to give this first contrast. He's going to give two descriptions or two behaviors that tell a different story, that prove um, your claim false if you're saying you have godly wisdom. These two things are going to prove that false. One, he contrasts good conduct which we've said right living, with bitter jealousy. Or some of your translations may say envy. And envy and jealousy can certainly make us bitter. So what uh, is a definition? What is jealousy and envy? So you might describe it as begrudging others their success. Instead of being happy for them, we are jealous, bitter envy. 
William Shakespeare calls jealousy the green-eyed monster. And I love that visual. I love it because that's kind of what you turn into when you get super jealous or super envious of someone. Kind of that green-eyed monster. Kind of like the, uh, if any of you saw the dragon in Shrek, green-eyed monster. I have a friend, a really good friend. She is never jealous, never. She's always so happy for someone's success, always really ready to celebrate their success. It's not always easy to do that. Second behavior, contrast here, meekness or humility with selfish ambition. Or maybe your translation says self-seeking or strife. It's a desire to live for yourself first and foremost. You're not really considering others. You're definitely not putting them first or their needs and wants first. You're putting your own um, success first. And so when I read that, I thought, well, I'm not like that. But what if I am? What if I am? I desire others to see my point of view and accept it because I want to be right. I might even lose my sense of reason as I try to gather people to my viewpoint, which sometimes can cause factions. And that is strife. In fact, that's the kind of setup that ends up with a church split. That is strife. So James is saying, if you're envious and self-promoting and arrogant, don't boast that you're wise, because that's a lie. That's not godly wisdom or true wisdom. Envy and selfish ambition are not meek, humble conduct desiring God's glory, which comes from true wisdom. Instead, you desire your own glory. So James says, don't be false to the truth. Don't pretend that you have godly wisdom. Don't lie. Now, James seems a bit harsh here, but he wants us to be clear. This is not godly, true wisdom. And so he continues in verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. James is saying, beloved sister in Christ, if you have envy and selfish ambition, strife in your heart, and your conduct is arrogant, you think highly of yourself, this is worldly wisdom. It's false. And the origin of this wisdom is earthly, sensual. The source is from Satan. Yikes. And by the way, when I say you, I mean me. James uses that pronoun you all through here. But if we really want to learn from James, if we want to grow and mature in our faith, then we need to take these words personally. We need to apply them to ourselves. I need to apply it to myself. Not, um, you know, find a verse and say, hey, my husband needs this. This would really be helpful. Or, hey, I'm going to send this to a friend. This is what she needs to hear. No. If we want to really grow and mature this semester, we have to apply James' words to ourselves. So let's look at those words, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Earthly means not from heaven. It refers to fallen human nature. And that started in the garden when Adam and Eve did the one thing that God had restricted them from. They couldn't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One thing, and they rebelled. That's fallen human nature. It's rebellion against God, being opposed to God and his goodness. It's sin. And the word unspiritual here, this wisdom is godless. It's without faith in God. It's without the Holy Spirit. So this wisdom is based on just human feelings, human senses, human reasoning. 
human feelings, our senses. You know, um, I really feel like I should do this. Or, you know, that's what my gut says. Or follow your heart. You know, all of those things. Um, some of those things can be good, but if you're doing that alone, that's all you're banking on for your wisdom, then that is false wisdom. That's not godly wisdom. We need the wisdom from above. The word unspiritual, this wisdom is godless, without faith. And then uh, Proverbs 14, 12 tells us this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So true. You know, we think, oh yeah, this is the right thing. I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to do this. And it ends in disaster. Not godly wisdom. And then thirdly, this worldly wisdom is from the devil. Satan is the source of this wisdom, not God. It produces the kind of situations and the kind of people that are against God. And that is what Satan delights in, not what God delights in. And what is the effect of this worldly wisdom, this jealous, self-seeking wisdom? Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice disorder. Instead of bringing people together, it drives them apart. It disrupts personal relationships. It brings chaos and confusion. Can you relate to those words? You know, maybe in your own personal life, you have some relationships that have been disrupted or in your extended family, or just look at the world around us. All sorts of relationships that are disrupted. They're in disorder. It's chaos and it's confusing. And I am kind of tired of all the chaos. And beyond that, every evil practice. Evil, and that is opposed to the will of God. Instead, this advances the cause of Satan. He delights in the chaos and the confusion and the evil. So James has done a great job describing worldly wisdom. I don't want that kind of wisdom. I want God's wisdom. So let's see the contrast with godly wisdom, which is true wisdom. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That is the wisdom from above, true wisdom, godly wisdom. It says it's spiritual wisdom. It's heavenly. And the source of this wisdom is God. God is the source, and that's what we want, God's wisdom. And James tells us we can ask God for this wisdom, and next week, we're going to learn how to ask God for this wisdom. So you don't want to miss next week. Come back to next, next week, and let's see how we ask God for wisdom, because God wants to give that to us. So let's look at these seven words that describe godly wisdom. Did you notice that there's seven of them? Now, seven, some of you have heard this before, but sometimes we call it God's number because it signifies perfect or complete or whole. Whole, not broken or fractured. You know, we are all kind of broken people living in a broken world, but we want to be whole. And God desires that for us as well. God wants to make us whole. And God's wisdom is whole and perfect. And first we read here, it's pure, pure. So pure, it's free from defilement. It is holy. So it says first pure. 
Now, that doesn't mean it's the first thing in this list of seven things. It means that it is the characteristic that's key to all the others because God is holy. He's pure. So first and foremost, God's wisdom is pure. And God makes us pure by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When we trust in Jesus, God sees us through the blood of Christ, and he sees us as pure and holy. So the first step for us to have godly wisdom is to believe in Jesus, to put our faith in Jesus, to know him, to understand Jesus. In fact, Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So first of all, God's wisdom is pure, and it leads to purity of life. Next, we read peaceable. Now, that's just not inner peace, but peace between people and other people, peace between um, people and God. It's peace that is opposed to strife, seeking um, to spread peace. That's what peaceable means. It's not harsh. It's not critical. It's not judgmental, and it doesn't mean compromise. Sometimes we have to take a stand against evil. We have to take a stand for God's way. But we want to do that with a desire to get along with others. We want to do that in a peaceful way. The peace that comes from God's wisdom. Because we certainly can't do that uh, out of our own wisdom. Next word, gentle. Some translations may say considerate. We know what that means. And it goes along very well with the next, open to reason or reasonable. Some of your translations said submissive. It's willing to listen and even change. Easy to work with. You're not hard. You're not stubborn. Willingness to listen and think and pray and obey God, whatever he reveals, might even mean changing your mind. Next quality, full of mercy and good fruit. God's wisdom is full. And when it says full, it means you can't even drop, add one drop. It's full, almost overflowing with forgiveness and blessing for others. We're serving and helping and forgiving others to God's glory. And the sixth description we see here, impartial. Now, this is a big theme in James. And impartial means being single-minded and free from prejudice against others and single-minded about God. You're not double-minded. You're not all in one day, maybe on Sunday, or Wednesday, and then the rest of the week, you're not even thinking about him. You're single-minded. You're putting God first. And the last evidence of wisdom, sincere. Sincere, I love that word. It means not hypocritical, not two-faced. Now, there's a good junior high word. Not two-faced. It's genuine. It's authentic. It's real. Your words and your actions line up. You do what you say. It is sincere. And the result of godly wisdom, look at verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The result of godly wisdom, the outcome, a harvest of righteousness for the peacemakers. It's a community living right with God and working hard at getting along with others. And that is hard work treating each other with dignity and honor, and then enjoying the blessings. That's what living with God's wisdom looks like. So how can we apply this as we study James? First, quickly, seek God's wisdom. 
Desire it and ask God for his wisdom. He wants to give it to us. Second, honestly look at your own life. Look at yourself honestly. And do not disregard pride and jealousy. Third, create a climate of peace as you walk with Jesus every day. Create a climate of peace. You know, is what I'm about to say going to cause peace? Uh, Is what I'm about to do creating a climate of peace? Every day as you walk with Jesus, create a climate of peace. So we're out of time, but I want you to come back next week. Please come back next week and all the weeks after as we study James, because I know we're going to gain living wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good, and you are great, and you are wise and holy, and you love us so much, and you want us to live every day with your wisdom, Lord, living wisdom, living skillfully as we walk with Jesus. Lord, those are the women we want to be. I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and minds to your truth, open our hearts and minds to your wisdom, Lord. Father, give us your wisdom. I pray that we would gain much wisdom this semester as we look at your word. We love you, Lord. Bless all these women. Bring them back next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. All right, I have a few announcements for us before we leave. Um, The first one being we have a mentor workshop coming up. So um, Side by Side is our mentor ministry here um, at West Campus and Fort Worth, and then we also have it at South. So what that mentor um, ministry is, is it's where a woman who is further along in her faith meets with someone who's younger in their faith. So it's not necessarily an older lady with a younger lady. It's just we pair you um, based on where your walk is. So if you are interested in participating in that, the mentor workshop is on September 17th here at West Campus or at uh, Fort Worth on the 24th. So you can attend either one of those. Um, If you're interested, please go online to register for that, or you can ask me for more questions. Um, And also, we have a great and beautiful full room this morning. I love getting to see all your faces. Um, But we also have several of you who are brand new to Women in the the Word, meaning this is your first time to ever come. So if you are completely brand new, um, we have a newcomer's lunch coming up on September 21st. So we would love to host you and your leader just so that you can kind of get to know us. Um, it's a perfect time to just fellowship, ask us questions, and all of those great and wonderful things. So if you are available to come, let your leader know, and she will RSVP to me by writing it on her roster. And then we will have lunch for you, and that's it. So y'all are welcome to go. Enjoy this beautiful day, and we will see you back here next Wednesday.